Well, good day and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the pod medic, and I'm really excited about tonight's topic. It's a little bit different for us, something I don't think we've touched on before, but actually something that is uh, something we should all keep in the back of our mind in our preparedness bins, as, as it were. So we'll get into that here in just a second. But as always, we can't get any of these episodes going without my co-host, Sam Bradley. Sam, how, how are you? I think things have been a little like, exciting uh, in your neck of the woods. Yeah, a little crazy. I moved all the way across the hall, but <laughs> it's much bigger. So that's good. We got a little rain coming down right now, which I'm looking out the window. It's kind of cold to do that. So I don't know, Dan, there's been some odd things going on with the weather. Can you give us a, an update for next week? Yeah. So Sam, it's been an interesting stretch of weather. I would say like, it's not been your maybe typical August where we've had a, just a, a lack of hurricanes or any type of tropical systems in the Atlantic basin, unusually quiet. It's the quietest it's been. I think it's the, uh, since 1982 in this time period, the last time we had this quiet of a stretch of no named storms. Um, and the, uh, the, uh, uh, it, it, it looks like it'll get busier in September as it usually does, but that's been quite unusual. Um, and then in the, you know, here closer to home, we've had a, a, just a ton of flooding events in major metropolitan areas. We've had the, uh, flooding events in St. Louis. There were two of them. We had the, um, not in the metropolitan area, but the very serious flooding in, in Kentucky. Uh, just yesterday we had the flash flood emergency in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, so, and we've had a lot of flash flooding in the West. It's been a very active monsoon season, which is good news in terms of the rainfall. But that's uh, it's, it's been one of the wettest monsoon seasons in, in over a decade in much of the Southwest. Uh, but that's caused a lot of flooding down there as well. Yeah, I know Texas had. The, of course, when you have ground that doesn't suck up any water, that's kind of a problem because <laughs> then it runs off and yeah. takes people's homes away. So that's not a good thing. But so they, it's not like here comes the water, but we can't keep it because <laughs> there's nowhere for it to go. Oh, anyway, hello, Miss Becky. She's here with us also. Hello, hello. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Just sort of keeping an eye on some weather things. There was a conference this week um, that unfortunately neither of us attended, but the National Weather Association conference. There's always some some good topics to come out of that. Um, I guess one thing I'll bring up briefly is the, there's been a trend towards using the color like pink or magenta to denote like the most severe risk. And there's a lot of people who think that isn't a good idea at all because red is typically the color that means like, you know, risk and stop. And, you know, so yeah. that's a topic we're going to dive into at some point. But I just found that interesting um, is some of the social science research around colors and how people perceive colors in terms of weather warnings. Yeah, and how many different colors do you use, right? I mean, is, you know, is, is three enough? Do you, can you, you know, how how much do people really take in when it gets to be a lot of different colors? Well, right, and there's no consistency from you know agency to agency, you know, private sector to government. Everyone uses different colors. Different stations, you know, broadcast stations use different colors. So it gets real messy. It's 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 interesting research that's being done. Well, it might be pretty, but. Uh... Don't give me too many because then I won't remember what they are. <laughs> so there you go. Well, speaking of St. Louis, which was the aforementioned city, um, I have to find my notes here. My, as some of you may know, 
Um, my IDMC nonprofit is based out of St. Louis. And our Intel division was giving us all kinds of information on this solar storm, this electromagnetic thing that was happening. And I thought, oh, my, I think I've heard this, but I don't know much about it. Well, as it turns out, they weathered that storm. It occurred, you know, between the 16th and the 18th this month, but did a little research on it. And I know you guys did, too. But I guess approximately every 11 years, the sun experiences period of high magnetic activity. They call her the solar maxima. And during these events, um, well, right now, we're actually in it. So the maximum part of the cycle will actually peak in 2024. Um, There was an interesting history behind that. The first one that was recorded was called the Carrington event, uh, which is a geomagnetic storm, the, the most intense one, in 1859. Fortunately, the technology was telegraph, so it did create some problems uh, with the telegraph network. It started fires, and it even shocked some of the telegraph operators. I hadn't heard that before. Um, uh, kind of crazy, but you can imagine if something like that happened today, and we'll talk a little about that. Uh, and then in 1989, they had a geomagnetic storm in, in uh, Canada that really did disrupt electric power distribution uh, and caused outages as far as Texas. So that's pretty mind-boggling. A lot of this comes from the uh, SWPC, or the Space Weather Prediction Center. And you know something about that, Dan, right? Yeah, so this is sort of like a weather-adjacent uh, area, and I can speak a bit towards it, although I will say I'm not an expert in this area. But I do know a bit, um, and it's interesting, too, that uh, SWPC in the in the acronym, the SWPC, the Space Weather Prediction Center, but SWPC sounds way cooler. Um, they <laughs> are uh, the Space Weather Prediction Center, and they're one of the national centers. No, uh, they're within NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric administration. And just like there's the Storm Prediction Center in Oklahoma, the National Hurricane Center in Florida, uh, the Weather Prediction Center in Maryland, uh, the National Water Center, which is in Alabama. And I might be missing a couple, but there's those. And then there's also the Space Weather Prediction Center. And they are tasked um, with, and you can find this on their website, and they, they talk about the fact that it's between them and the U.S. Air Force's 50, 557th Weather Wing. They're both tasked with um, monitoring different space weather events and then, then providing information to uh, defense and public about them. It's obviously a significant defense part of uh, space weather because of all the satellites and all the different other things that are up in space that can be significantly damaged by solar uh, events. Um, and they have a whole bunch of different uh, ways to describe space weather. They have uh, different levels of events that they provide watches and I think also maybe, yeah, watches and warnings and also alerts for them. So uh, we won't go into all the details here, but there's a lot of really interesting information out there um, about space weather from the Space Weather Prediction Center. Um, and it, it, it's a really serious topic. Uh, it doesn't get a lot of coverage because they're not doesn't happen a lot. But when the next Carrington event, which was the sort of the, the bar that was been set back in the 1800s, whenever that happens again, it's going to be a really big deal and really bad for a lot of technology. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely will. Um, if, like Dan said, if it, it meets the magnitude of the 1859, 
It would cause billions or even trillions of dollars of damage to satellites, power grids, and radio communications, cause electrical blackouts on a massive scale that might not be prepared, be prepared, repaired for weeks, months, or even years. And that can get into other things like threatening food production and so forth and so on. Um, high frequency communication systems, uh, the, the uh, global navigation satellite doing damage to those, even pipelines. There is something in there about pipelines. I mean, it's just mind boggling. Um, there's all kinds of links being posted. So Jamie will put a bunch of those up there. Jamie, you found a lot on weather.gov, right? Yeah. I mean, in addition to the Space Weather Prediction Center, um, weather.gov um, has a whole area on um, space weather and safety. Um, and it is um, basically uh, weather.gov slash safety slash space. And I'll have links in the show notes for this for those of you that want to go check over at disasterpodcast.com for this episode page. But um, it, it talks about what these types of um, coronal mass ejections are that um, the sun is kind of basically peeling off some of its um, energy and spewing it out into space and some of that can come our way. And if it were to cross over, um, some of that energy is what causes the Aurora Borealis. Um, so when these um, events have happened in the past, uh, it makes the Aurora visible far further down in latitude to places like um, as far south as Hawaii or Rome in some of the past events. So if you can imagine what it would be like to see the Aurora Borealis all you know that far south where you'd never seen it before um, in in your lifetime. So it's a, it's quite a bit of information there. There's preparedness information there, um, and interestingly enough, the preparedness supplies are pretty much the standard disaster preparedness kit. Make sure you have some cash. Make sure you have your medications. Make sure you have food and water um, cause, because the power grid might go down. So you want to make sure that things are shelf-stable and you can have some things to get you through a few days. Uh, all of these things. Um, it's, just, it's just a ton of information. I'll share the links in the show notes. But um, I just found it interesting that even space weather is prepared in much the same way as uh, our standard disaster events are prepared for. Yes, and you may have to deal with it for a longer period of time in a worst-case scenario, so that's kind of scary. I wish the aurora would show up here. I'd kind of like to see it, but we're too cloudy most of the time. But the thing that St. Louis was dealing with that they call the geomagnetic storm, and there's different – oh, there was all kinds of graphics and so forth on different levels, and level one to level three was the one they were concerned about. But like you said, Jamie, that solar wind shock rave – uh, just messes with the Earth's magnetic field. And that CME, which is a coronal mass ejection, is plasma um, and just stuff from the sun's corona going into the heliosphere. And that's as technical as I'm going to get. Um, <laughs> but as you can imagine, um, with today's now, you know, uh, tech, that can all be <laughs> gone in a minute. Um, and this is from not from another country, but, you know, that's another subject, but just from the sun, our own sun. Becky, any thoughts from you? 
Yeah, I mean, it, this is one of those hazards that's really hard to get your head around um, because there's such a range of scenarios. Like, obviously, we've, you know, the last couple of weeks, there's been an, an increase in solar activity and maybe slight disruptions to the geomagnetic field, which could have implications on things like GPS and, you know, overall, though, fairly minor impacts. Or at this stage, if, if you know, the worst case scenario were to happen, whether whether from the sun or from an electromagnetic pulse in some sort of, like, terrorist attack the infrastructure of this country would crumble. Like, I, I, I gotta, like, watch the hyperbole here, but, like, I, I truly think that if, if something were to take out the majority of electronic devices, like, there, I, I don't really see how society, like, survives that because we're so dependent on, on it now. Everything that we do is, is through electricity. Cars, your cars would not run anymore. You would not be able to access any of your bank accounts. So, like, having that cash that Jamie mentioned... Uh, and it's it's an interesting thing to to think about, and it's an inter- interesting thing to like try and get your head around preparing for, because you can you can do a lot to prepare for a lot, but something of this magnitude I think would just have such devastating and far reaching impacts, and it's it's really not something that's commonly talked about. Um, I think in a lot of preparedness circles. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I've always had that thought too. It's like, well, what if? Because you're right. This would be a whole different thing than it was in 1865. Um, Jamie, did you have a comment? Yes, I did. And and then Dan left a comment in this in the notes on our chat room and while we're talking <laughs> here about such a positive podcast tonight. Um, and, and I'm going to bring a positive note to this. Um, this is this is an event that is more. I think has a, a level of advanced warning associated with it that um, we'll have, you know, at, at the best several hours of warning, probably even more before that coronal mass ejection comes our way. And that's enough time to prepare for the worst. If you have the basics of your preparedness kit together, you you have time to run to an ATM and get some more cash out and do some other things to prepare um, you know, fill your bathtubs with water and think sinks with water. So you have plenty. Cause I mean, I, I live where there's a well, if we lose power, we lose water. Um, so things like that become problematic. Um, you know, there's all sorts of things that you can prepare for in your area to, um, weather out something like this, even a solar storm. And Becky just made a comment, uh, just another reason to be fully stocked on non-perishable food. So, you know, Jamie makes the comment, this is something that's way less likely to happen than a lot of the other things we deal with. But, you know, it's it's preparedness is all basically the same. Dan? Yeah, the... Uh... Uh, I think the what I was reading here is that they, they they believe a Carrington event, which is again the sort of the the gold standard, so to speak, for what can happen in these cases. It, the return period is about every 500 years. So the last one happened in eight. Well, the, the one that everyone refers to was in 1859. So hopefully we have a few more hundred years to go. But it looks like there was one that was close to it back in 2012, which um, missed Earth. The trajectory went by us. So. Uh, that's good news, but it, it does show that it can happen, and even something that's not to the level of what happened in 1859 would cause significant problems, even if it was, you know, something that uh, was half or three quarters of that. It sounds like, from what I'm reading, seems like it would cause issues. I think one of the more interesting pieces is the impacts. We're talking about the aurora being seen in like Hawaii it was seen as far south as the Caribbean, um, and it was so bright in the Rockies that 
the glow woke miners up. They thought it was morning because it was <laughs> wow. so bright outside. Um, people apparently in the Northeast could read newspapers by the light of the aurora that night or during the time it was happening. So it's pretty crazy how how a, uh, such a extreme event that was. I, I doubt that I would be able to concentrate on reading the newspaper <laughs> if it's if it's uh, truly that bright at midnight. That would be a little weird. Um, but yeah, you know the the EMP that that Becky mentioned. You know that can be something as simple as lightning, or that can be something that's done. You know, as as a weapon of mass destruction and. It would definitely disrupt the unprotected infrastructure in the country. But I don't know if there's really a way to protect the infrastructure from these kinds of things. What do you think, Jamie? I think there's some certain shielded um, ways to protect certain electronics. I know um, just from some of the things I've read about defense contracting and things like that for electronics for defense department use, um, that there's a certain level of shielding that's expected because they, you know, could be in an event that releases an EMP in, in a battlefield situation and they need to be able to continue to use their communications gear. So, uh, you know, while we might lose some civilian resources and things on a localized basis, um, you know, we there we just have to hold on long enough until the federal resources could get on, on the ground and um, and start deploying um communications resources again, uh, things like that, so that we can get the information we need. Um, yeah, I, again, this is this is such a rare event that I think we can probably, you know, like I said, have the regular disaster preparedness kit, which I know every listener of this podcast has in their <laughs> closet right now, ready to go. Um, if not, go to ready.gov and fill one out. So, um, but I think that's great. Um, perishable, non-perishable food is always a good idea. Um, we're coming into the, for me, it's uh, coming into the winter months and also hurricane season on the Atlantic coast uh, will be ramping up even, you know, even higher than the nothing it's been so far. Um, and so we'll have, um, you know, th- there's opportunities for power outages and, and long snowstorms and things like that coming around the corner. So always um, try to be prepared for Again, what they always say, 72 hours of being on your own uh, before state and federal resources can really deploy effectively. And in some cases, longer. But, and I think it's based on a comment you you mentioned, Dan. Gee, what a fun podcast. But this is the disaster podcast. So there's all kinds of disasters that don't happen very often that we still have to think about. Becky, you had a comment? I think one big takeaway that like really applies to a potential, you know, either CME or EMP type event where you would not have the communication um, is to have that be a significant part of your plan with your family, with your significant other. Like if you cannot get in contact, where is your meeting point? And you should have one that is, that is close by. Like for Dan and I, that's the parking lot of AccuWeather. We just, we know that that's where we're going to be. That's where we're going to meet up if we're in different locations and if we're outside of town or if we need to leave town for whatever reason, we have a different location that's our, our go-to. Um, and so it's just important to have everyone in your family, you know, your kids, if they need to tell someone like, hey, you need to drive me here, that's where, where my mom and dad will be. You cannot get in contact. You need to have a way and a location um, to, to be reunited uh, if you're unable to actually you know, physically communicate via cell phone. 
Right. And, you know, if nothing else, it, it just brings up the the importance of having those basic supplies and those plans. And we haven't really talked about that for a while. Well, that's that's all I got for you here now that I've lightened your night. Uh, Dan, any uh, any last comments? <laughs> I just think it's a fascinating topic. I'm glad we're covering here on 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 this podcast. And yeah, be cool. I, I I think it'd be interesting to dive into it further with some people who are um, really in tune with this. I remember talking to um, some people from the Space Weather Prediction Center a couple of years ago at a conference, and it was just absolutely fascinating because they deal with things that are very similar to what we do deal with as meteorologists in terms of prediction and preparation and communication. But they do it in a way that is you know, a very different science. The background they need to be able to do the job is very different than what I need as a meteorologist. But at the end of the day, they're doing very similar things. And they're sort of the, I would say, forgotten about part of NOAA <laughs> from a national center standpoint. Everyone knows the Hurricane Center. Many people know the Storm Prediction Center. Very few people have heard of the Space Weather Prediction Center, but it's very important. So I think it's a great topic that we're covering. Well, good. Um, Becky just put up a, a, a book reference. Um, she seems to like this book called One Second After. So I guess that's after the disaster. So it might be interesting reading. Well, Jamie, back to you. <laughs> well, and, and I, I agree with Dan. I think this might be something worth following up, getting um, t- touching base with um, some of those resources that, that he and Becky might be able to put us in touch with for a future podcast episode. I, I always love talking to the experts like when we have um, – Dan Zaner on to talk about, um, you know, that, t- that end of preparedness and, and structural integrity. Um, it would be great to talk to some of these experts that are thinking about, you know, space weather prediction and, and the modeling they use and what do they think about the preparedness level of resources here in the United States and, and what the ultimate impact would be at a worst case event. So, um, I, I think it might be something to dial in for a future episode for sure. Well, and our friend Dan will be with us in another couple of weeks. Awesome. So you know. Awesome. There you go. Um, well, I want to thank everybody for checking out this podcast. Um, as always, Dr. Joe wasn't able to be here tonight. He had another event. But the folks at Paragon Medical Education Group are our sponsors. They keep the podcast coming to you on a regular basis. And uh, we want to thank them for their continued sponsorship. We um, always encourage you to check out their resources. They can put together a very customized, specialized disaster training event for your jurisdiction, your community, um, your hospital, your you know fill in the blank for your organization, and they can figure out something that will help make you better prepared for the type of disaster you most expect in your community. And um, I, I would urge you to do that. You can reach out to them at paragonmedicalgroup.com. Or uh, there are links on the Disaster Podcast. And, of course, you can always reach Dr. Joe in our Facebook group and the Disaster Podcast Facebook group. So um, do that as well. Um, Dan, uh, where can folks catch up with you if they want to follow what you have going on? Find me on Twitter at WXDepo, D-E-P-O, and also in the Disaster Podcast Facebook group. Awesome. Becky, how about you? Also over on Twitter at WX underscore Bex and the Disaster Podcast Facebook group. Excellent. And Sam, how about you? In both of those places, along with social media, uh, under Sam Bradley or Sam Bradley 11, and certainly in the podcast group on Facebook. 
How about you, Jamie? Well, everybody can check in with me at Podmedic on most social media locations. And uh, I look forward to hearing from people there. Uh, as always, head over to disasterpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show. It's always a great way to make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. I know Sam's got some things lined up for us. And, you know, it, things will pick up again in the Atlantic Basin for hurricanes and things. And so I would expect that, you know, we're hitting into the high point of the season just because it's been quiet so far does not mean it's going to remain that way for for the remainder of the season. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. And if there's more events going on, we will always bring them to you as we get information about them. That's it for me, Sam. Um, great topic tonight. I think, you know, it's not something we've even touched on before. And I've already... It's already piqued my interest to find out more and look forward to an expert on a future episode. And we will do that. I'm curious to see what the community thinks as well, if they like this topic. And like Dan said, it's not going to happen anytime soon. But, you know, things like that can happen at any time. You just never know. It's like those hundred-year floods that we get every week. So I think Becky said it best. Just be prepared.